Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from World Radio Gardening. This edition brought to you by Bayer Garden. Well, spring has sprung. You can just tell, can't you? It's beautiful out there, even when it rains. Certainly got Ken Crowther excited. He's been speaking to Anita from Bayer Garden about feeding plants, about lawns, and he could hardly contain himself when the subject of hanging baskets came onto the agenda. Anita, it's hanging basket time, brighten up the garden. Yeah, and hopefully all the frosts have gone now, yeah, so, so we be. can uh, we can get the hanging baskets out of the greenhouse, if that's where you've been um, setting them up, or, or indeed you can now go to the garden centre and buy a whole array of plants, can't you, for hanging baskets without the fear of frosts getting yeah. them. Now, there's lots of baskets. Um, you can get them made out of wicker, you can get them made out of plastic, you can even get wire ones that you fill with moss. Yeah. Moss ones are harder to look after, I always think, because they dry out quicker, don't they? They do, but they do look nice. They do look good. But again, it's like anything, it's how much time and effort you, can you put have it, it? or yeah. that, you're, that you want to put in or you're prepared to put in. So, mm. we buy a basket or we get the basket out of the shed, as you said, or the yeah. greenhouse. The most important thing, surely, is to use a good compost as well, isn't it? You need a good compost. I think before we get that far, I think a liner is quite a, you know... If it there hasn't are, already got one. Yeah, I mean, you can get coir liners, can't you? I yeah. mean, I know that, you know, some people just use an old bin liner or something no, like that. No, no, no. Okay, we, we don't, don't use bin no, liners. We don't we use bin liners. No, we don't use bin liners. No, we don't use bin liners. So coir or sphagnum moss or anything yeah. of that ilk. Then a good compost. Good compost. You don't need a soil-based compost, obviously. No because it's not necessary and also soil composts are very heavy so we don't want to bend the basket bracket do we <laughs> don't want to rip a hole in the wall of the house um no so you don't need anything too heavy so a good multi-purpose compost i think it's important to add some swell gel in there as well That's because helped. when you've got hanging baskets they are suspended in the air so they are going to dry out more quickly than other other types of containered plants. Now, you just said swell gel. Ray, basically, it, it looks like, um, well, I always think it looks like polycell that you put on the walls to put the wallpaper on, but basically it absorbs moisture, doesn't it, and then feeds it back into the compost as the compost dries. Is that right? Yes, that's right. The the, uh, the name for them is, is like water-retaining granules. That's it. Mm. It's, um, and you, you just buy them in little packets. I think it looks like sort of the big lumps of sugar that you get oh, on yeah. cakes and things, or the, the, the polycell analogy you gave is perfectly adequate too. Then, um, and it really works, doesn't it? Yeah, so what it does, basically, it just takes out the peaks and troughs of dry drying out compost, and then you, you think, you know, you come home and all the hanging baskets are all droopy, so you throw loads of water at it, and so then so then the compost is saturated so what it does it it just it just levels, levels off yeah. that so it'll absorb the moisture when you give it and then when the soil starts to or the compost starts to dry out so then the water or the moisture from the water retaining granules releases that into, the, into compost. the compost yeah but it doesn't mean that you don't need to water your hanging baskets no and feed them on a regular basis because you will have to plant them though come on what are your favorite plants to put in baskets oh i'm always i go into a garden center or a nursery and i just stand there because i'm just so 
overwhelmed with the amount of plants, the colours. It's not just the flowers, though, is it? Yeah. It's the foliage. The, you know, do you want trailers? Do you want sideways grown? Do you want upright ones as well? You know, you, in a hanging basket, I think you need some on the top, obviously. Like you want fuchsias and geranium you can put in. You want you? dangly ones. You want trailing ones. You know, the for bean. Yeah, for copa. There's there's so much. To, you know, do you go for pastel shades? Do you go for bright, hot, punchy colours? Oh, and as for it's... begonias, you can use trailing begonias, one called Apricot Shades. It's even perfumed. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that yeah. sounds. I do Gorgeous. like. I, I do like. As I get older, I, I do. I do. I do look at begonias a bit more favourably. Why do you get older? <laughs> they're, not, they're a young people's plant. <laughs> Maybe. Yes, they're very trendy, you know. At the moment. They are, and they do flower for they, a long, long time. Yeah. So we've we've decided to basically go out and buy what you like. Yeah pop it into the basket, get it going, get the colour up and running. But how do you plant them? I mean, do, do you just put the compost in and then bung them in or what? I think there's various ways. and I'm sure lots of people have different... different. So how do you do it, Anita? <laughs> I'm not saying mine's the way, um, but I, I'd put in maybe just under half or half uh, a basket's worth of compost and then you would then be able to plant lay the plants if you want them Horizon trailing or horizontally yep. then you'd lay them horizontally on that compost layer and then so once you've got all of your horizontally ones laid out sticking out through the holes in the basket um, then you top up again with the compost if you've got an, if, if it's a really big hanging basket you might then have a second layer of plants for trailing so you'd lay those out horizontally on the compost sticking out through the, the holes of the hanging basket and then you top up with the compost and then you just plant normally as you would the uprights, yeah. Sounds sounds good to me. Um, now you did mention early on, um, you can't ignore them because they're up in the air, they need watering on a regular basis, but more importantly, what's the other thing? We need to feed them, Feed them, feed them. And I think it makes sense, doesn't it, to feed and water at the same time. It's easy, isn't it? Yeah, so every couple of weeks you'd use uh, the Baby Bio Outdoor Flowers and Shrubs, which is perfect for um, helping flowering plants produce more blooms, but also hold on to those blooms longer and, and helps the plants remain nice and strong and healthy. Now, if I was growing vegetables, I might grow trailing, trailing beans, I might put tumbling tomatoes in them, Things like that. Would I have to use a different feed? You could use uh, a, a Baby Bio uh, outdoor plant food, but this would be more uh, akin to fruit and vegetables because it has uh, slightly different um, requirements. So that would be perfectly suitable. And again, you'd use that every couple of weeks. You might need to water more than every couple of weeks. Um, but the food, but the food every couple of weeks. But you, you'd need, I think, really, if we, you know, if we get a hot summer or the hanging basket, for example, is often you see them, don't you, hanging on the corner of a wall? So you're going to get maybe quite, it drying could be out, quite right. drying mm. with the wind. So you would need sometimes to, particularly in the height of the season, water maybe every two, three days. And sometimes what I do is actually take, if you can, is safely, is to take the hanging basket down. Suspend it in a bucket or something or like that, really good soak. and give it a good old soak because it, it's fine watering um, hanging baskets, 
with the, just with the water and cans and that. But as you know, a lot of it will just drain, drain through, through, and you'd have to do that a few times to make sure that the compost has has absorbed all the moisture that it needs. But lots of people have irrigation systems now, don't they? Where yeah. they can just just which Makes I think is a really good idea, and it saves water as well. It gives the plants, you know, regular watering instead of all or nothing. So regularly feed gives us more colour or more yeah. vegetable, and really, yeah. we just got to enjoy them this summer. Yeah. Make them as big, bright and bold as you possibly can. Well, if you're going to have a hanging basket, just make sure everybody can see it. Big, bright and bold. That's my sort of hanging basket. And it will attract everybody's attention to the hanging basket, to the garden and the lawn. And that's the next topic on the agenda. As Anita from Bayer Garden speaks to Ken about all things green and beautiful. Britain loves a good lawn, doesn't it? Yeah, we've got quite a lot of lawns, I'm <laughs> proud to say, in the UK. People are a bit over the top sometimes on their lawns, aren't they? Because most of us have got a lawn that is not perfect, is it? If you were to look not too closely, you'd probably see in your green lawn that there's possibly quite a lot of moss in it and some grass uh, and some weeds. So quite a collection of things. Mm. That's an average lawn, isn't it? Very average. Very average lawn. So, okay, if we've scarified it to yes. get rid of the moss, we've moss yes, killed it uh, earlier yeah. on in the year, we've scarified it, it's going to be looking a bit bald, but you would have overseeded it. That should be showing now, shouldn't it? It should be, certainly. Um, you know, the uh, early spring weather, the soil would be quite moist, temperatures are starting to increase, so you should... You should have seen some good germination. But if not, I suppose you can just throw a bit... I was going to say, throw a bit more down. You <laughs> Feed the birds. No, you, it's got bird repellent in them, haven't they? You could, you could overseed further if you, if you needed to. The important thing at this time of the year is to just make sure that it's watered well. And, and if you do want to do that, then it's better to water in the evening. Yeah. Than during the day, waste, it? it doesn't waste, and it, it yes, it's a much better time to do that type of thing. A lawn, again, like any plant in the garden, needs a feed, though, doesn't it? It does, yeah, it does. You can get a whole array of plant food Liquid for lawns, yeah. So triple actions, or you can get just straight plant food, or that there's just, just so give much. It a, give it. We don't do without breakfast. They shouldn't do without food, should they? The only thing I'd say is if you have got an area where you have reseeded quite heavily oh. then maybe a granular uh, triple action weed killer for example wouldn't be the most might suitable damage it, might, might damage it because the the seedlings would be very tender so in that situation just a, a good proprietary uh, brand of uh, liquid mm. lawn food would be fine now i'm just going to throw in that when you mow people scalp it because they think oh i won't have to mow it for several weeks so just just from my point of view as a, as a gardener it's better to cut it not too short because it looks after the grass a bit better, doesn't it? Yeah. So you need to, if you're inclined to scalp it, then you need to raise the blade maybe yep. one or even two yep. notches. Uh, it's much better to do that. And also if we do have a hot summer or if we have... It'd dry hot, out, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. So by raising the blade, the, the grass is a bit higher. So it produces more shade on the soil so you get less, of, less evaporation. And the grass then is just generally less stressed. Now, of recent years, we've had a lot more fungal problems than we used to. I yeah. don't actually know why, but we have, haven't we? I mean, I'm sure, you know, you must get inquiries a lot on your inquiry lines that, about fungal infections, don't you? I do, and I think a lot of that is to do with the, you know, change in the climate. So the, the weather is milder 
for longer, it's more wet, you've got an increased humidity. Because if you imagine, you know, out in, when we're out and about, you know, we have a nice movement of air. But if you, if you imagine a lawn... Stuck there on the ground. Stuck there on the ground, you know, you're not necessarily going to get a lot of air movement. And within that, you're going to have pockets maybe of humidity and, and constant dampness. And a lot of diseases are actually, fungal diseases are actually inherent within certain types of lawn, certain types of turf anyway. So. What, what, are the, what are the most common that you find, you know, in, in, in getting inquiries? There's two. Red thread. Now, how can you... OK, red thread. That's yeah. the one... You can actually see that, can't you? Yeah, as the name might suggest, uh, the, the area of, of lawns that are affected tend to go not necessarily like a crimson blood red, but they'll have a, like a pinky hue to them, sometimes from pink through to a more, more darker, darker colour. And that's actually the fungal growth that you see, which is actually growing on the blades of grass. Ooh. So the, the pink you're seeing isn't the lawn, it's the fungal growth. So look out for that. What's the, what's the other top so one, do you think? The other one um, is the fusarium patch and again so how do people notice that well they it can start off with uh brown patches within the lawn sometimes so you think it was your dog wouldn't you you could you could blame your dog i think dogs do get a bit of bad press sometimes they get blamed for lots of things don't Including they in the house and in the garden <laughs> um so yeah so you'd see sort of um spot, spotting perhaps within the lawn brown patches which can then spread and join up with other patches within the lawn. Sometimes you also get a little bit of uh, white kind of fungal growth okay. in the centre of it as well. So we've got anything to get rid of them because, you know, we have to look for something that we can help yeah. with a lawn if it's got that, because if not, it spreads, doesn't it? It does spread. And a lot a lot of it um, can be, or you could be, look at, you know, improving the situation with the lawn. So, you know, try and improve the drainage of the lawn, you know, go around with a hollow tine. Maybe if you've got overhanging trees, if areas of the law of the lawn is quite shaded, so maybe you could maybe cut back some tree branches. Just give it a bit more air and light. Just yeah, exactly. That would certainly help. But if you do have problems with either of those two uh, diseases, we do have something um, called uh, lawn disease control does exactly what it says exactly and that's a soluble sachet formulation um, which can be used on domestic lawns and and should quite successfully uh, help particularly is good on red thread but will also help with fusarium as well that's something to look out for and i suppose yeah. last but not least you you mentioned lawns moss you know we've talked about uh, the diseases and i suppose they get a bit of weed um i'm not paranoid about weed but we How's the easiest way to just get rid of a bit of weed on your lawn, do you think? Depends on the size of the lawn, I think, and the severity of the problem. I mean, I do talk to people who who would go round with a little knife and just div it out. That's hard work. Those. Hard work. But if it's a small lawn... That's a good way of doing and it, And they yeah. have as much time on their hands as you have. Um, <laughs> then then maybe that's a possibility. Um, but more, more commonly, people would perhaps consider the use of um you know a lawn weed killer 
it would need to be a specific uh, uh, lawn, lawn weed, weed killer, killer. which important. is selective for uh, weeds within a lawn. Can you get those in ready to use as well? So you, you can just go around squirting the odd one? You can. You can get them as a, we do a ready to use uh, lawn weed killer. And there are several um, types of lawn weed killers available on the market, both as a ready to use spray or as a concentrate, which you'd make up yourself and probably more likely to apply over the entire lawn which often is is a little bit better because you're less likely to over apply to those individual weeds whereas with a spot weed we are a little bit inclined to give it another spray, spray, spray. yeah exactly it which can hurt, it? which can sometimes burn the grass surrounding it because so you be careful yeah so just a nice application doesn't matter if the spray goes onto the grass because if it's applied lightly, it's not going to affect the grass, but it will affect the weeds that it comes in contact with. And then so. enjoy a summer, sitting back in the uh, in the chair on the lawn. Yeah. Yeah, a nice um, feed to it, something like a, a nitrogen feed, particularly at this time of the year. We'll flush it through nicely with green, and and help kind of cover up any kind of patches that you might have until the, the new lawn cities And as you said, off. I've got plenty of time on my hands so I can sit back, glass of wine in my hand and just enjoy the lawn. Is that all right? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Well, that might be your dream, Ken Crowther, sitting back in a chair with a glass in hand, watching the world go by. But as a gardener, there's more to be done. Those plants need feeding if they're to keep looking beautiful throughout the summer. More now in this podcast, brought to you by Bayer Garden. Feeding of plants. Yes. Now, you and I might say... It's important. It's essential. It's essential. It's more than important. It's essential. But do people take that on board, do you think? Not always. And I think it's fair to say that perhaps younger people, or younger gardeners, or people perhaps new to gardening, won't consider feeding, or won't consider that feeding is something that they need to do, or really understand what it's for or why you need to do it which is dark because they're the people that are actually cooking more and eating more and enjoying their food so it doesn't actually make sense because if you feed yourself you're a better healthier person in theory and your plant will be healthier and better wouldn't it depends what you eat of course but i know what you mean in theory yes i know what you're saying yes and of course it's essential to feed plants you know if you want plants to grow and produce flowers or then to go on perhaps to produce fruit and vegetables then you're going to have to help them to do that because they're not going to find all the nutrients that they need in the compost that they're in particularly if they're in pots and containers hanging baskets raised beds that type of thing but if we're not careful we make that sound complicated (laughs) is it complicated no I mean, that's the trouble, isn't it? It yeah. sounds complicated. We've just said, ah, oh, if you wanted to grow, wanted to do this, wanted to do that, it's got to be fed. But, but how do you feed? I think the simplest thing to do is during the main growing season, so from now onwards through to September, use a liquid food because it's easy to do and you can water the plants at the same time. So you're doing two good things at once. So a liquid plant food, you would drop an amount into the watering can, fill up your watering can and apply that to the plant. So Baby Bio Outdoor plant food would be perfect for that. So capful in an amount of water. You've got, you've got one type for flowers and shrubs. You've got another type for fruit and vegetables. So that's simple. That's as simple as it 
needs to be. Now, if you've got a shrub bed yeah. or a rose bed, yes. can you use just a granule and just put the granule through it? The reason, yes, you can, yes. The reason why you use granule plant food for more permanent plants like shrubs and, and roses, you mentioned, and, and, and maybe small trees, is that they need a slow release feed. So the plants like shrubs are, grow a lot more slowly. Um, and the plant food that's available for them just needs to be released more slowly. Uh, so that's why you would use a, a slow-release plant food. But again, they'd have all the nutrients that that plant would need to grow, strong leaves, strong, strong stems, and help promote flowering. Now, if you walk around the garden, I know it's easy for you and I to walk around the garden mm. possibly and say, oh, look, that plant look, it looks a bit sick. It's got yellowing leaves. It doesn't yeah. look very healthy. It's droopy a bit. Mm. It might need a bit of a perk up. But, yeah. I mean, is that how people have to look? Or do you think we just say to people, you've got to feed your plants to get a good plant? I think it's a bit of both. I think once you get on board with the benefits of feeding and what plants look like when when they have been fed and, and looked after properly, then you would then perhaps notice... You start to realise. I think I think you'd start... Yeah, that's right. I think you'd start to see perhaps plants in other people's gardens or if you're out and about on your bike or something like that and you see... Or in a pub garden or... I, mean, I don't know, anywhere. But you get used to you, it. You would become more accustomed, I think, to noticing plants that are looking a bit not quite as healthy as perhaps they could. What's the best time of the day? I'll give you that one. Do we do it in the morning? Do we do it in the evening? When's the best time to, to feed a plant, say, with a liquid that we've talked about as an example? It would be exactly the same time of the day, which is best time to water plants, which would be in the evening towards the end of the day. Reason for that is, as, as you'll know, Ken, the sun has moved down, the temperatures have dropped slightly. Often if it's breezy during the day, the wind speed will drop towards the end of the day. It's just a more quiet time, so you've got less evaporation going on because it's not as hot. You're not going to get a chance of um, scorching of the foliage. And the water then soaks in to the soil because it's more available to the soil because it's less evaporation, less drying from the wind. And it just gives the plants an opportunity to take it up. Now, I don't want to overnight. be complicated, yeah. but... What are we actually giving them? I mean, I always think of nitrogen because it makes things green. But what are we? What else are we actually trying to give the plant? Just as a thought for people that want to get on with the planting. So, producing green foliage is excellent, and of course, that's nitrogen. That's nitrogen, and that's required in large, quite large quantities by plants. So, if you look around in this garden, there's a lot of plant material with green leaves on, and that needs to be supported, um, and that can be helped a great deal by giving plants a plant food with nitrogen in it okay um, in addition to that the other two major plant foods that plants do need in quite large quantities are potassium and potassium is very good to help support plants through flowering but then also going on to produce fruit and vegetables if, if that's if what they're doing yes right? exactly yep. if not it's it's brilliant for helping uh, plants just to produce bloom and then you have um, phosphorus and phosphorus is a is another macronutrient so it's required in larger quantities by the plant and that's uh, good for root development so helping a plant produce a good strong root system which will help against drought resistance and and other 
issues. Now you mentioned liquids but they're now adding biostimulants aren't they into liquids? Yeah so biostimulants are quite it's quite a sexy kind of subject yep. if I can it's say new that. And exciting. It is it's quite stimulating. <laughs> See what I did there yeah. Ken? See what I did there? So how does that help? Does so, it let the plant get it easier or what? I mean, what's it all about? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so, so biostimulants are uh, plant-derived um, biostimulants uh, and they help a plant to better utilize uh, and enhance its environment so it helps a plant to perhaps photosynthesize more efficiently it would help a plant with its um, carbon cycle so the production of, of sugars would be better so it would help perhaps a plant to produce fruit or vegetables which are yeah. a little bit bigger but they'll have perhaps a higher sugar content so they'll be a bit more sweet Sounds so you get more flavor Sounds good to so, me but but my worry would then be can i overfeed just just last but not least you know there i am going around the garden with my liquid pouring it everywhere every week can i overfeed i get asked this question so much i'm sure you do yeah and people seem very worried about it and even I, though they're not feeding at all <laughs> most of them <laughs> see the one swinging one way or the other yeah. um i think you'd really and this is what i say to people you'd really have to go some to overfeed something really particularly with a with a with a liquid feed when you're diluting it it's going into soil, so a lot of it is going to be moved away from the root anyway. So it's not all going to be taken up by that. So that's direct. something to not worry you about. You don't need to worry about overfeeding plants, particularly in a garden environment. You but, really don't need to worry too much. But what you do need to worry about you, is feeding. You do need to worry if you're not feeding. Get on with it. That's what you need to worry about. <laughs> so get on and give your plants a good feed. Yeah, and don't worry Wise words to end this podcast, don't worry. Anita from Bayer Garden talking to Ken Crowther and making the garden look beautiful. That brings us to an end for this podcast, but don't forget there are regular updates here at World Radio Gardening. Thank you for listening.